If you would take your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 12, please. 1 Corinthians 12. We've been considering, uh, spending considerable amount of time in this passage. And again, uh, if, if you've heard me say this before, just bear with me, but I want to reiterate. If a church is not operating according to its spiritual gifts, it is not glorifying to God. I, I, I struggle sometimes with stronger language that I could possibly use to get this point across. Every believer in Christ has a spiritual gift. Everyone. No one is lacking. No one was left out. Nobody was passed over. Everybody has one, which means that God has something for everyone to do and to contribute into the body of Christ so that the body will be built up. Now, we don't have to answer this. Sometimes I want responses. Right now, I don't. Okay? I'll go ahead and tell you up front. But sometimes I think we need to ask ourselves the question, is Grace Bible Church the type of believing community that raises people up, that builds them up by what they do? Now, here's what I don't mean. I don't mean that we're blowing smoke or that we're brown nosers. That's not what it's about. That's the way that the world builds people up. I'm talking about because we understand how God has spiritually equipped us and because the desire of every one of our hearts is saying, you know what, if I do anything in life, I just want to serve Him. Then we have to serve Him His way as He's given us ability to do so or it's void. Does that make sense? We can no longer settle for this. Well, that sounds like a good idea. Well, yeah, and it might sound like a good idea to the Honorable Moose Lodge down the street, too. What a wonderful community project. Great. Is it spirit-led? Is it spirit-driven? Is God in it? And that comes down to every one of our lives in the way that we serve within the body of Christ. When that happens, it is dynamite that overflows into building up. You can't help but to go up, okay? Now, if you have your sheets, your, your little inventory sheets that you filled out when we first started getting into the specific gifts, if you don't have those, raise your hand. We'll get them to you. You can have them. Again, we're going to fill them out more in depth later. Does anybody need these? Everybody got them? Everybody good? Okay, I just want to make sure. You can also get them online on our website. And down at the very bottom, you should have these A through L, down at the very bottom, L. If you want to write in discernment or distinguishing of spirits, that's what we're going to look at today. That sounds all creepy and fortune teller-like, and I hope you're intrigued. Discernment, distinguishing, if you want to put that, but it's specifically discernment of spirits. Do we need to be discerning of spirits? That sounds kind of miraculous and more sign-oriented. Is that a gift for today? Yes, it absolutely is. It absolutely is. Look with me at 1 Corinthians 12, starting in verse 4. There are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. They all come from the same place. There's a variety of ministries, different ministries that go on within a church body. But notice it's the same Lord. There are a variety of effects. And remember, the idea of effects is there's a variety of workings, ways of doing this, ways of accomplishing these things. But the same God who works all things and all persons. It all comes from the same sport, same space. It's all God doing God things through God's people as He's endowed them spiritually to do it. It's got to be spiritual. So notice how He moves forward to seven. But to each one, that means nobody's left behind, 
to each one is giving the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The Spirit of God desires to be revealed in every one of our lives so that everybody else but you can be built up. Now that sounds like a raw deal, doesn't it? We got the Holy Spirit, but it's not about me. Newsflash, Christianity's not about me. None of it's about me. All of it is about things that have happened to me and nothing that I cause or instigate. Everything I cause and instigate is the very things I needed to be saved from and Jesus had to die for. So the sooner I can get my hands off my life, the better off I am. Too often, churches are prideful and presumptuous people. And we think our ministries are just knocking them out of the water. Numbers don't mean jack if the Spirit was left on the bench. And we cannot afford to do that. I would much rather us be a 15-person church that is exploding because of our desire to see the Spirit manifest in our lives and living in loving obedience to our Lord than have 450 and 500 people who look like we're all shopping at Walmart at the same time. No. I would much rather have the joy of the Lord than constantly looking at the hole in my horse bag. Everybody with me? Hole in your horse bag. Think about it. Moving on. (laughs) What did he just say? Moving on. Verse 8. For to one is given the word of wisdom. Through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge, according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the effecting of miracles. And to another, prophecy. And to another, the distinguishing of spirits. And to another, various kinds of tongues. And to another, the interpretation of tongues. But one in the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills it's the spirit's decision how we and why we have the gift that we do the distinguishing of spirits let's do a let's do a definition first to understand this what we're really concerned about is distinguishing we know what spirits are yes we familiar with that each one of us has a spirit within the holy spirit third person of the trinity uh very much equally god If you're a believer in Christ, he comes and he indwells. There are evil spirits that are considered lessers than God also. So we have at least three different kinds that we know of that go on there. What is the idea of distinguishing or discerning of spirits? The ability to distinguish or to evaluate. The engagement in verbal conflict because of differing viewpoints. Sometimes we gravitate more towards that second definition than we do the first one. It's a conflict because you don't agree on something. How about the next definition here? The ability to evaluate and judge. To be able to judge. The ability to make judgments. The ability to decide. I thought we weren't supposed to judge in the church. That's not what it says. I'm not here to judge your eternal standing with God. I can't see your heart. I don't know if you ever came to faith in Christ. And I'm definitely not here to use your fruit in order to beat you in the head to let you know you don't really have salvation. That is not the goal of the church. Do Christians have bad days? Yes. Some have had bad lives. Some have had bad years. But remember, salvation is about what Jesus has done, not about what I'm doing. It's about the work that He does. Are we to judge? Well, absolutely we are to judge. But we have to understand how to properly judge this. How is the discerning of spirits, if you have this gift, how is it to be exercised for the common good and the betterment of the body? Here's a quote I found that I thought summed it up really well. Down one more, Dave. There you go. This is the spiritual capacity. 
spiritual capacity, okay? This can real easily become the fleshly capacity because we love to criticize people. We love it, okay? We are grumblers and complainers by nature. So it's got to be a spirit-led capacity. To determine whether a teacher, prophet, or preacher is speaking under the impulse of the Holy Spirit, his own human spirit, or the evil spirits. I would say this is a large factor of what this gift is used for. Now notice it's not a speaking gift. That's not what it's about. It's a serving gift because it's used to serve the body in guarding against error and discerning who is speaking from the Lord and who is not speaking from the Lord and being mindful of those things so that everybody else can be warned. Now, if this is not spiritually done, you just look like the jerk that can't agree with anything, okay? That's usually how it pans out. But if it's a situation where, number one, the body is aware that you have this gift and that you're using it in order to guard people against doctrinal error, all of a sudden you've got something that's incredibly beneficial because... The more safe from doctrinal error you are, the less dabbling in sin you have as a body. And if that's the case, nothing but blessing happens. Now, if you've got in your handout here, you've got your sheet from the study that Rodmacher did in the 70s and some things that we need to understand about this gift. What exactly are the parameters of this gift? Notice it's the God-given judicial ability to stand over people in order to detect genuine or non-genuine motives by distinguishing the spirit source behind any person's speech or act. In other words, this is something that has to be spiritually done because it goes deep beyond the surface. It's actually looking at the heart and the intentions of the heart. Is this somebody who is being subservient to God and His desires in this situation? Or is this somebody who's got greed and personal gain and personal pride and notoriety and everybody look at me going on on the other side of it? Or is this a situation where somebody who is a false teacher has infiltrated the church and begin to overturn it and begin to disrupt many? Now I'm sure if you've been to various churches, if you've been here for a while, whatever it is, you've probably come in contact with some of these things and hopefully some light bulbs are clicking on going, oh, that's what that was. This is why you need the person that is discerning of spirits, distinguishing of spirits, to speak up and to be educating the church on why this is a wrong thing, why you shouldn't listen to this, why you can go in this direction, why you can't trust that person. There's a lot of prejudice that surrounds this, and if it's not handled spiritually, it will look as selfish, conniving, that person's a jerk, whatever you want to say, okay? It could backfire pretty quickly. It's got to be spiritually discerning. So here's some of the qualities. Maybe this is you. Keep Keep your ears open. Or maybe this is somebody that you know that exercises discernment like this. Evaluating situations quickly and accurately. Now let me reiterate this because we had one that was like this before. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, people are saying now, if you know, you know. Well, that's according to spiritual things as well. There are some things that are going on that you can just put your finger on the pulse immediately. You didn't need to pray about it. You didn't need to sit here and ask the Lord's opinion about it because of the way he gifted you. He immediately struck something within you that brought up red flags and said no or brought up green flags and said yes, it's a good way to go. The next one has a really good intuitive sense. Now, they can smell it from a mile away. That's what that means. They see it coming down the pipe before anybody else does. And they say, you want to watch out here. You want to be careful here. Well, this person teaches this, look out for that, it might not be good. They quickly spot weak points 
in a presentation. That hurts. Also, they're willing and able to speak out because of the fact that it's an error that's in place and the ramifications of the sin that can spring from it, if somebody believes that. There could be massive implications that would be bad. There are some people that believe that if you're lost and you don't know Jesus, you're just annihilated in the end. That your spirit doesn't go on, that just ceases to be. The Bible preaches very clearly about the lake of fire. We should not be apologetic about that at all. If anything, that should be a great motivator for us to want to share Christ and look for those open doors that God opens in order to give to those people. So when somebody comes along and they want to say, well, if you don't know Jesus, you just die and that's the end of it. That's all that there is. Red flag. Where's the biblical basis for that? Because when I read the end of God's word, it's really clear. Even hell is thrown into this place. That's how bad it is. So we have to be really clear about things like that of what possible doctrinal errors there could be. The next one. See hidden motives or agendas. They already get an inkling of where somebody is coming from as they begin speaking. And this is one of the other things you'll see that's probably not on here is they are, I don't even know the word, very attentive listeners. They're going to be very slow to speak and they're going to wait for all the information to come out because if you let somebody speak long enough, their cards will come out on the table. And they'll be able to sort right through all of that and then turn around and instruct the church on how to avoid whatever errors might be in front. The next part. They have keen insight into biblical principles and in bringing them into practical situations. This is key. Because a lot of times we say, well, that person has good intuition. Intuition means nothing if it doesn't have biblical principles as the foundation that it rests upon. It just begins coming up with, well, that's my previous experience with people like this. Well, this is people that I've had to deal with before, or my uncle was this way, or whatever. You end up having everything that you're associating with except for truth. And the reason is, is because these types of things are going to come. They're all going to come upon any church, any time. The question is, is are you going to buy into them hook, line, and sinker? Are you going to have somebody that steps up with the wisdom to look beyond these things and help navigate the church around them? If you don't have biblical principles in place in order to guide the ship around to how you properly, biblically, spiritually, God-glorifyingly, that's not a word, navigate it. If that's not going to happen there, the ship will still crash. The ship will still crash. Church is not a fleshly entity. So you've got to have biblical principles bringing them to this practical situation. They can pinpoint difficulties in a situation when things aren't going to go well. Here's where we went wrong. Here's where we went wrong. Here's where we went wrong. And they'll bring that up. Now, that's not to open up old wounds or anything like that. That's to help understand to learn from those things as you continue forward. You don't want to make the same mistakes. The common phrase, you know, the problem is, is that we're all destined to repeat history kind of thing. What is that phrase? What is that saying? Right? Those who don't remember history are doomed to repeat it. That's what it is. Couldn't remember how it started. Thank you, Jim. Also, can apply principles to his decision-making process. How do you get out of it? How do you navigate around it? Is able to have the foresight to, to set a path for people to be able to get out of a situation like this. Now, to understand, you might have some of the most well-intentioned people in the world. By no means should we ever frown upon the attentions of any person, even if they're insincere in serving the Lord. But there are a lot of things that we can be intentionally sincere about that we are in complete left field biblically about. We can't afford to be like that. 
Everybody take your Bibles. Turn with me to 1 John. To the right, right before Revelation and Jude. 1 John. Let's get an idea of this. There's more that spoke on this just than Paul. He didn't leave this out there in the middle for us to figure out and then leave us wondering here. God has given us plenty of understanding about what exactly this is and what it looks like. 1 John 4. We're going to start in verse 1. It says, Beloved, now stop, is the audience saved or unsaved? Saved people, okay, let's get that clear because there's a lot of people that believe that some of the people in 1 John might not have been saved who received this letter. That sounds weird, okay? That might be somebody that we needed the discerning of spirits to tell us that that wasn't right. Beloved, do not believe every spirit. Now stop, does it sound like that there are going to be a lot of spirits that come along to the church? Are all of them good things? No, and so we've got to be discerning. We need that person. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. How in the world do we do that? Well, just pay attention, keep going. Because, here's the reason why we need to be aware of that. Many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now stop, because they just gave us a very interesting glimpse. You're going to find it largely in the words of people. It's the idea of what are they promoting and saying. Can you line it up with the Word of God? Is it gelling with what we understand the Bible teaches? Many false prophets have gone out. So when spirits come your way, you've got to have your spiritual ears up and be discerning and test them. How do you do that? Verse 2. By this you know the Spirit of God. So this narrows it down really well. Every spirit, and everybody notice that's in the lowercase, rightly so. Now, if you stop for just a second, you remember the quote we saw earlier with the definition. It's either somebody's human spirit that they're bringing to the table, or somebody's bringing an evil spirit to the table. Don't pretend like evil spirits aren't out there now, okay? There's too much craziness going on in the world, and if you haven't noticed, they're infiltrating the church. I'm scared to death. Well, I'm not scared to death. I'm concerned about what the church is going to look like in 10 years. Can you only imagine what America's churches are going to look like in 10 years? The celebrity pastor is not cutting it. Okay? Rick Warren has purpose-driven our lives into a hole. These things are not working. This health, wealth, and prosperity garbage, it's not working. And these are all things we need to be aware of. This critical race theory that's being promoted about needless shaming about things that go on that we didn't have any part of, we need to learn to deal, people. And we need to learn not by buying the latest book that somebody wrote by it, by simply looking at the parameters of God's word and stepping up and saying, here's why this isn't right. God said this, okay? Very plain. It's really actually really simple. It says here, but you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now, this is interesting. It's the idea that the Messiah has come. It's the idea that the incarnation was a real thing. The fact that God actually took on a bodily form. Now that presupposes the cross and the resurrection. But stop for a second. Can you think about some people that don't even believe that Jesus came? Anybody? How are the Jews right now? We're actually told in Romans 11 that a partial hardening has come upon them because when their Messiah showed up, they killed him. Now, there's a remnant of Jews that are being saved right now, but by and large, they are still 
looking for their Messiah. They don't believe there's a first and second coming. They're still looking for him. Then you turn to Matthew 24, verse 15, and you think about the Antichrist setting up the abomination of desolation in the most holy place in the temple where if anybody went, they were to be struck dead by the presence of God. And yet he walks behind this major curtain and is able to stand and he says, worship me, I'm the one you've been looking for. Mass deception. Where does that come from? Because they have a spirit upon them that will not allow them to accept the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's a very real example of what we're looking at. And an entire group of people, God's chosen people, have been deceived by this. That's a very real example. Pray for the Jewish people. It says here, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And, verse 3, every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. Okay, now watch this. Sounds like we need to have our ducks in a row about what we understand about Jesus. But then watch what he says. This is the spirit of the what? Antichrist. Anti-against. Christ, Messiah. This is the spirit of one who is against the Messiah. Is that evil? You bet it is. Look what it says. Of which you have heard that is coming. So we know about the Antichrist in the future that will come. And he will temporarily have a ruling position in the tribulation, because he is actually going to be possessed by Satan himself to do all of these horrible things upon the world. But not only that, look what it says right here. And now, now, in John's time, and I'll go ahead and tell you in our time, and now that spirit is already in the world. Do you see that spirit? Yeah. So notice, the spirit of Antichrist is already in the world, and that spirit of Antichrist will also come when it fully indwells a single person who is going to lead the whole world into deception right here is a prime example now here's what i'm going to do just for the sake of time because i got two passages i wanted us to look at that see that further fleshes out the spirit part but if you want to write these down that's great first thessalonians 5 verses 19 through 21 i'm going to turn there you don't have to if you're a quick flipper then that's awesome uh, but if not that's okay don't worry about it you can look up on the screen and see it but if you want to write it down and look at it later uh sorry we're, yeah verse 19 is where we're starting do not quench the Spirit. Automatically dealing with things of the Spirit. Do not quench it. How do you extinguish or how do you cease the Spirit? By sin. And by stopping His work. Sin stops the Spirit's work amongst the people, okay? Do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise, do not consider them worthless, prophetic utterances. Now in your marginal note, you're going to have there where some of it says gifts. The word gifts is not there in the Greek. This is actually the word we looked at last week of the idea of propheteia. And it's having the gift of being able to preach or being able to speak forward what God has already revealed. Don't despise that. Notice what it says, verse 21. But examine everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Everybody see, but examine everything carefully. Notice the context. What you're being taught from the Word of God, scrutinize it. I know that you've heard Pastor Steve say this, and I will chime right in in unison with him. Don't believe me. Look at God's Word yourself. Get into God's Word. Pay attention to the con context. Pray and see if these things are so. Be good Bereans about what you're being taught. But don't just listen to everything. Now I'm going to say this. And understand that I love you. Okay? I love you, and I love you, and I love you. But some of you have revealed some of the preachers that you listen to throughout the week. Be careful. 
Just because they have a large subscription for their podcast doesn't mean that they're right on. So there are some that you need to stay away from. Pay attention to what they are preaching. That's all I will say. If you say, well, who in particular are you talking about? Come talk to me afterwards and I'll tell you some people that you need to avoid. Because it's some very scary things and I will give you reasons why you need to avoid them, okay? Be discerning. If you're not for sure, ask. Ask somebody. If you know somebody that's able to discern and sort through those types of things, ask them, is this a good thing for me to be listening to? There's nothing wrong with that. Their answer is going to do nothing but build you up for the better. It's for the common good. We don't need just a little bit of yeast getting its way inside the entire batch of dough. It will work its way through. So this is one example here. Discerning of the teaching that you receive from God's Word. You have to be. How about this next one here if you want to write it down? Romans 16. The very end of Romans. Chapter 16. You can look up on the screen and just see it. Give me just a second to get there. I have fudgy fingers this morning. Verse 17 and 18. Now I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. Now watch this. Contrary to the teaching which you learned and turn away from them. If somebody is stirring it up in the church and it's coming against what has clearly been taught here as far as doctrine or practice, turn away from them. Don't have anything to do with them. That sounds kind of harsh. That's not very loving. Or is it trying to send a message? That just tolerating a little bit of that ends up infecting the entire body. Look at the next verse, 18. For such men are slaves, not of our Lord Jesus, here it is, but of their own appetites. There's the motive. There's the motive. Because for some reason the body of Christ has been seen as something to prey upon and in order as a means of gain to manipulate and overthrow and come out better on the other side and eventually abandon to abuse. God will have no part of that. So, notice, it's their own appetites. And by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the undespecting. I'm so glad that I have word problems when I'm up here for all of you to see. Man, if I had it all together and smooth and flattering speech, you better watch out. I'm probably a wolf. You better hold me to task on that. But notice why they do that. Everybody see the others in this passage? Look at the very end of what it says. It says, deceive the hearts of the who? Unsuspecting. You know what that means? This word could actually be used to mean the innocent. Those who just want to love the Lord and they want to go in whatever direction and they're not leaders, they're followers. There's nothing wrong with that. Lead them in the right path. Lead them to the green pasture. Lead them to the word of God. But those who are leading in the church have got to sit aside with a nice big stick and smack around those who are not going to lead in that direction. And I make no apologies for that. There is no room ever for false doctrine in the church. Disagreement on tertiary issues? Fine. But have a verse and a reason why you believe what you believe about the Word of God. But as far as basic doctrinal things, example before, the incarnation of Jesus Christ, that's not up for grabs. It's not debatable. That is a set and sound issue. So you've got to watch out. You've got to listen. Let's give two test cases here of what we see. We love this one. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. 
if you're fun-spirited like me, you're just looking for the opportunity to teach children's church so you can go to this passage and teach it to these kids. Can you imagine what's going on? I tell you what, kids, let's act this one out. Can you imagine that? Nobody else thinks that's fun? I think that's great. Moving on. Okay, which one of you is going to deceive God and lie to him and fall over dead? Anybody? Anybody? (laughs) Kids are repenting real quick, right? Now, here's what you do. You look for the person with the gift of distinguishing spirits, okay? Chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Anything wrong with that? No. And kept back some of the price for himself. Anything wrong with that? No. With his wife's full knowledge. Anything wrong with that? Some of your husbands are like, yeah, I got to share now. All right? It's not what it's talking about. It's the idea that there was conspiracy going on. That they were actually formulating a plan of deception together. Okay? Notice what it says. And bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now remember, what's he trying to project? We've read this before. What's he trying to do in front of the church? Look how sacrificial I am. Look at what I've given up. Yeah, well, I know these people gave up that, but I gave up this. While stuffing pockets and saying that it was all of it. Okay, now watch what happens. But Peter said, Ananias. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back some of the peace of the price of the land? You know what? Walk up to your fellow believer next week and just say that to them and see what they do. Is this a way to start church or what? Who's got the distinguishing you know, gift of distinguishing spirits? Peter does. In fact, if you read the book of Acts all the way through that deals with him, you'll see it. There's traces of it everywhere. Peter has the New Testament gift of distinguishing of spirits. Can you imagine looking at someone and you're not looking at their eyes, you're looking into their soul. And you're able to identify this offering that you just selflessly gave for everybody to see, Satan has motivated your heart. Now here's what's sad. There are some churches that would sit here and go, wow, this offering's huge. This must be from the Lord. Because for some reason, we've equated that the more zeros that come after it must be a blessing from God. That's more damaging to us than anything. Because it gets your mind off of how God can truly work. You can't serve God in money. We're warned against that. That's a very real danger in every body of believers. You need that person that can peer into the motives, who can be spiritually troubled by what's going on. And saying, we need to call a time out here because we've got something to deal with. Look at it again. Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit? Ananias, you've got a truth problem. You're not walking according to the truth. Your selfless offering, your sacrifice is tainted. It's destructive. Notice. And to keep back some of the price of the land. Why did you do that? Now watch. Here's the beautiful thing about Peter. He doesn't just throw the, the, bam, guilty. He doesn't just do that. Watch how he reasons Ananias through to recognize. Here's where you went wrong. While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? Right? 
Now me, I like to answer questions in my Bible. Right in there, yes. Absolutely it was yours. It's your personal problem. God doesn't have any problem with pers- or personal property. God doesn't have a problem with personal property. He's all about us having private ownership. Not a big deal. But look what he says after that. And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Could you not have done whatever you wanted with the profits you got from the land? Absolutely. Look what he says after that. Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your what? Where does sin start? Where does it come from? In the heart. Oh my gosh. The problem isn't the land. The problem isn't the profit of the land. The problem is that your heart wanted to give a false projection of whatever you thought might be looking like holiness amongst the body of Christ. And it was sin against God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. You have not lied to men, but to who? Isn't this interesting? How easy would it have been for people that were sitting out there that were part of the congregation to feel personally offended by this happen whenever Peter exposes it for everybody? Notice this was done publicly. Everybody notice it wasn't, hey, let's go to back room somewhere. This was, let's unpack this for everybody to see. That had to be a good time. Some of us, if we were sitting there in that church, we might think, man, I trusted that guy. I let him mow my yard sometimes. Right? You're going home to check your yard, see if you did a good job. That kind of thing. You know? But now you've got all kinds of questions about this going on. What, what happened here? Notice that it's not even about how we were personally offended by this or, or disenfranchised by his action. Notice that the sin is exactly where it needed to be. Against God. Against God is where people sin first. And that's what Peter's most concerned about. And notice that Peter's not worried about how he hurt other people. He's worried about the relationship with God is messed up and the problem is a fraction found in the heart. Some sort of distortion that you've bought into. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last and great fear came over all who heard of it. Judgment. Immediately. Was Ananias saved? Yeah. I don't know any lost people that are really taking the time to give to the church. Was his heart wrong before God? Yeah, you mean God can do that to save people? Yes. Well, how can he do that? He's God. All life is his. He's in control of everything. He can handle it. His shoulders are big enough. His reasons don't need to be defended. He's planned the beginning from the end. You say, man, I don't like that. That's kind of harsh. It's okay. Pray about it. Watch what happens to his wife. Verse 6, young men got up, covered him up, and after carrying him out, they buried him. And now there elapsed an interval of about three hours, and his wife came in not knowing what had happened, and Peter responded to her, tell me whether you sold the land for such and such a price. And she said, yes, that was the price. Then Peter said to her, why is it? I guess the person with the gift of discernment's always got questions. Why is it that you've agreed together There's the conspiracy in verse 2. To put the Spirit of the Lord to the test. Again, keeping it focused on the fact that God has been sinned against. Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out as well. And immediately, 
She fell at his feet and breathed her last, and the young men came in and found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard these things. I can't help but to wonder what Ananias and Sapphira would have done with their lives had they have been honest with the church and honest with God. They probably could have lived much more longer, and because of that one moment of decision, would have had much more fruitful ministries, but they cut their own life short by sinning against God. There is an opportunity of distinguishing of spirits. One more. Look over at Acts chapter 8. This is kind of a long one. It's, it's an interesting one. Philip is the primary character here. If you remember, he preached to the Ethiopian eunuch, how we commonly know him. He had the heart of an evangelist. And he actually finds himself in Samaria. And if you remember, Samaria is a country that is in between, uh, or an area that's in between Judea and Galilee. And it's made up of people that were considered half-breeds. And the Jews hated Samaria. The Jews would cross over the Jordan River and travel up the east side of it and then cross back over into Galilee in order to avoid Samaria altogether. This is why in John 4, when Jesus says, we have to go through Samaria, all the apostles start getting real nervous real quick, okay? So these are people that we're normally not associated with because of racist or cultural boundaries at that time. Verse 9. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. Two things. Number one, he's obviously involved in witchcraft. Okay, So he has an evil spirit that is upon him, giving him the ability to perform these things. Number two, he wants everybody to know it. He wants everybody to know his name. He's renting out the amphitheater and putting his name up in, in solid light so that everybody knows Simon does cool stuff, okay? So look what it says here, verse 2. And they all, from smallest to greatest, didn't matter who you were, were giving attention to him. Stop. This is one really good indicator for the person with the gift of distinguishing spirits of why something might be fishy is when you have a lot of attention going in one direction in a situation. Pay attention to the situation. Whoa, he does cool things. Doesn't matter. What are they saying? What are the contents of their word? That'll show you the motives of their heart. Notice it says here, they're giving attention to him, they're saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. That's his reputation. Isn't it weird that they had to bring God in this situation and that power is not from God? They had to bring God into the situation because I guess maybe his power was so great. And so this is how he was making a name for himself. Notice that we don't have anything where Simon says, no, 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 that's not right. No, no, no. I don't want anything like that. He's going, right here, everybody, look, yeah, me, uh-huh, yeah. God's gift to everyone. Scary people. Verse 11. And they were giving him attention. Notice it's brought up again. Because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. Now notice that it's always drawing attention. Luke draws the attention to the experience. The experience. The experience. Okay? Nothing about his message. It's all about exalting the experience over the message. That's a problem. Now look at verse 12. Here's what happens. But when they believed Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom and the name of Jesus Christ. They were being baptized, men and women alike. Notice what Luke does here is Luke shows us that when Philip comes into this situation in Samaria, all of a sudden it becomes message over experience. 
That's a good way to be discerning about these things. If you've got someone that is promoting experience as being the precedent over the message, that's bad. Automatically, I don't know, I almost said dismember, but that's not right. Separate yourself from that situation. It depends on how tethered into that, I guess, you are. Separate yourself from that situation. God is not so much concerned with us having an experience. Any experience that is had apart from the Word of God is not a God experience. It's not a Spirit-led experience. God always promotes His Word over the experience. The Word will dictate the experience. The Word will give boundaries to that experience. It will let us know whether the experience is from God or not from God. So it's got to be Word over experience. Notice, here comes Philip. They believed... Notice what he's preaching about the kingdom of God and about the name of Jesus Christ. So they get baptized. Didn't matter if there were men and women. There's no discrimination going on there. Even Simon himself, what? Believe. Pause. Is Simon now saved or unsaved? Is his belief there any different than what happened in verse 12 with everybody else? Same word? Same word. Nothing different. Now, Watch how a saved person, freshly saved person, so they need some discipleship and, and some upbuilding, right? Watch how a, a, a freshly saved person can really drive the car off the rails. It says here, Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued on with Philip, and he observed signs and great miracles taking place. He was constantly amazed. Now stop for a second. What did we just read before? Was Simon able to do all kinds of crazy David Copperfield type stuff? He totally was. So what is it about what Philip's doing that's so mind-blowing to him if he's able to do those things? There's the difference of the Spirit of God. When the Spirit of God is front and central, regardless of what Satan tries to counterfeit in order to get people's attention and lead them astray from God, the Spirit of God will come in and always does it better. Always. Every time. Watch how this moves forward here. Verse 14. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem, down south, had heard in Samaria, had received the word of God. They sent to them Peter and John, bigwigs, right? Notice it says, verse 15, who came down, and that means they came down because of the elevation. They went from south up, okay, but from the elevation of Jerusalem, and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Now, there's all kinds of things around this about why did they have to be prayed to receive the Holy Spirit? I thought they believed. How come they don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit? Did they receive it at the moment that they baptized? Did there need to be laying on of hands or no laying on of hands? Guess what? All of those options are mentioned in the book of Acts as happening and not happening and the Spirit being there and the Spirit not being there. And that's why Acts is a very transitionary book because God is trying to do specific things. If we want to dialogue and rap about that later, we can totally do that. Right now is not the time to get off on the case. But understand, we do see that it's an issue and we ask ourselves how that works, okay? So notice, they came down and they prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon them, other translations will say come upon them is the idea, uh, that had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they've been saved and baptized in his name, but they don't have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Now stop. Does Simon have the indwelling Holy Spirit? He doesn't at this point. Okay? So this is really interesting. Again, it's a transitionary thing. We don't totally grasp that. It's transitionary. That's all, that's all I can give you right now. We can talk about it later, though, I promise. Let's see here. But P, uh, Sorry, verse 19. Saying, give this authority to me as well. Now stop. Everybody see that Simon recognizes that to have the Holy Spirit, there's an authority that's in place. 
Okay? Peter and John have this authority, and notice that they are giving this out so that the works of God can be seen manifest. Now, now pause for a second. Samaritans. Did Jews think much of Samaritans? No. Do you think Peter and John are real excited about maybe being there right now? The only reason why they might have any comfort level is because they've been there before with Jesus. Another thing to remember if you know your book of Acts, Acts chapter 10 hasn't happened yet. Peter's not called from the Spirit to go preach to Cornelius and all of a sudden he sees Gentiles get saved right before his eyes. They don't even fully understand if salvation is for anyone but the Jews at this time. So it's kind of like a heavy way out situation. Some of you are like, I just don't care. Get on with it. Okay, let's go. Here we go. Notice, give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. What does Simon want? He wants attention. Look at me. Look at me. Give me this authority so I can give it to everybody and Simon will be known as the lay on hands Holy Spirit guy. Now I love this. Verse 20. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Some of you will remember the J.B. Phillips translation. Anybody? Anybody? J.B. Phillips translates this. He says, To hell with you and your money. They say, oh my gosh, that's profanity. It's not. That's exactly what the Greek is saying here. He says, may you die with your funds because you thought that what God gives as a gift, you could purchase it. Now, I could go on a rabbit trail about that one, okay? But the idea is, is that when God gives a gift, it's free. Don't try to pay for what God freely gives, okay? Now, watch what happens here. May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, having the authority to give the Holy Spirit. That's what he's talking about. Four, here's the reason why. Where's the problem? You're what? Market. What was Ananias' problem? The heart. What was Sapphira's problem? Well, because she colluded the heart. What is the problem with, even though they may be believers, bringing these false things in, doing it for false reasons, false intentions, wanting to be the center of attention, all of these things. The heart is the problem. It's a heart problem. It's got to be dealt with. What does Peter do? He looks directly past the eyes into his heart. Your heart is not right before God. He tells him, therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart, the desire, what you want, may be forgiven you. Now, verse 23. Man, if he didn't look at what the heart looked like on the outside, he goes ahead and just wiggles his way right on the inside. Look what he says here, man. This is scary. If somebody did this to you, you'd freak out. Watch this. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. What? The gall of bitterness. I can see that within you is seething poison. And that's the fruit that comes out of you. And you are all bound up in sin in some way that's causing you to do that. And maybe that sin is just pride. He's so bound up in pride that he wants every situation to revolve around him. Let me give you a good example of this, just a story real quick. There's a guy named Neil T. Anderson. I really appreciate a lot of things he's written. I probably agree with about 85% of it. There's some things I'm like, I don't know about that. But he will often tell a story in his books about what it is to have freedom in Christ where they were having this constant issue with a couple in church. 
and they couldn't understand why their marriage was so messed up and there's causing all this havoc and all these problems and all these terrible things that were going on. And so they went over one night to meet with this couple. There were a group of people who went in order to have a prayer meeting with them and to sit down and try to have some honest, frank, biblical, let's get it all out in the open discussion about what was wrong in that situation. And this 14-year-old girl wanted to go along as well. She said, I want to go and I want to pray for these people if they're having trouble with their marriage. They got in there, they started having discussion, they started praying, and they said in a moment, the little girl looked up and looked at the husband right in the eyes and she said, you have a porn problem. He's in the bondage of sin. 14 years old. Was that her doing that? Was that by her Googling everything to research his life inside and out? No, it's the Spirit of God looking at the heart and using God's people who have been given that gift by the Holy Spirit to say this has been bad long enough. It's time for there to be some good. This has got to be opened and dealt with. And they got to deal with it. Now here's the amazing thing. He was never going to admit it. He was never going to turn, come to terms with it. He'd much rather get caught than be responsible. The Spirit of God wasn't going to let that go on. And if the Spirit of God needs to use a 14-year-old girl with the gift of distinguishing of spirits, he'll do it. Because he wants his bride to be pure. He wants the attention on his son. He wants our hearts to be cleansed before him. He doesn't want us harboring all this sewage and somehow thinking that our walk with the Lord is excellent. He's given gifts to cleanse the body, if anything, constantly holding it up to the light of sound doctrine so that these problems will get dealt with. The problem is always the heart. Verse 24, but Simon answered and said, notice he immediately calls out. He's overwhelmed by this amount of conviction that's hit him. He says, Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me yourselves so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. One of the trying things about somebody with the gift of discerning of spirits is it's all really great when they can applaud along and say, this is fantastic, yes. This is wonderful. We need to hold fast to this teaching. We need to see it in the Word of God and savor every Scripture that pours out of this. This is wonderful. But it's not all sunshine and roses sometimes. Just as church life is not. Just as the body of Christ, we're brothers and sisters. It's not all rosy. Having these gifts and being Spirit-led with them means that we are able to deal with deeply troubling heart issues like that and work through it, and come out on the other side better and more conformed to the image of Christ to truly be the masterpiece He's designed us to be. But a lot of times that molding, shaping, carving, whittling work that the Spirit needs to do, He uses people to do it. And He uses it to expose the motives of the heart. Now, as far as I know, I don't have the gift of distinguishing of spirits. I can tell when somebody's full of it most of the time, but I don't know that that's distinguishing of spirits. You know, you might be thinking, I've been thinking of that about you for quite a while now. That's okay. I can take that. But here's one thing I do know, that regardless if we've got somebody with the gift of distinguishing spirits speaking into our lives or not, we still know 
in the deep recesses of our soul, we still know right now, at this moment in our lives and how we live outside of these walls and how we interact with other people, how we're husbands or wives or parents or whatever it is, we know right now what our heart looks like before the Lord. We know it. We might not need the person of discerning of gifts to come along and tell us we already know it. How long will we let that continue? Or will we deal with it? I'll tell you what. Let's take a moment right now. Let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Here's the amazing thing about dealing with our sin ourselves. Is that because all of our sin is first and foremost a sin against God. We don't necessarily have to get everybody else involved. But if we will deal with it properly, bring it to the Lord, confess it. Yes, this is what it is. Yes, it's wrong. Yes, I need help. Yes, I can't do it on my own. Yes, I am powerless to this. Yes, I am overcome. I might be in the bondage of sin and in the gall of bitterness. You know what? Maybe that's the part that resonated with you the most. That's fine. Come to terms with it. I don't know of anybody here in this building that's expecting perfection. If you are, you came to the wrong church. This is not perfect Bible church. This is grace Bible church. And that's exactly what sinners need is grace, grace, grace. Thankfully, God always looks to give it. But if we don't come to terms with it, ourselves, with Him, it's going to get worse. We can't get the help because we don't want it. So let's pray for a moment, silently. And then I'll lead us out. Father God, there is not an area in our being where you cannot reach and that you cannot see. Your Spirit is involved in convicting us all of sin, righteousness, and judgment. How important it is to know that our sin is way more serious than what we think. How vital it is to know that all righteousness is found in your Son. And how a failure to confess and deal with these things, to repent of this wickedness, is asking for your judgment. Asking for your discipline upon your kids. Lord, you desire holiness in our lives. You desire purity in our lives. Your great goal is to conform us to the image of your Son. There's not a better goal out there. Maybe it's just that we're completely lackadaisical to any sort of pursuing our relationship with you. God, that's sin. You are not satisfied with a couch potato Christianity. How much more you desire to show us and work in us and take us into greater experiences of your love for us. And Father, I just pray that we're open to that, willingly submitting ourselves to you, laying down the things that bind us, 
from running this race successfully. God, these things need to be confessed and dealt with before you. Thank you that you're full of mercy. Thank you that you're long-suffering. And thank you that you are great in your loving kindness. We love you so much. Thank you for loving us first and foremost. It's in Jesus' name, amen.